Good morning. <clears throat> We're looking at common causes, and Paul's letter to the Ephesians provides us with three of them. Uh, it says in chapter 2 and chapter 4 and chapter 6, it gives us three different things to do. Sit, walk, stand. And when you look at it, the reason why it's sit, walk, stand, again, sit, stand, walk makes better sense physically. Spiritually, sit, walk, stand, Sit, stand, walk makes better. That makes better sense on a physical basis. But spiritually, sit, walk, stand is is the way Paul uh, addresses it. He talks about being seated with Christ in the heavenly places. And that's in the first part of Ephesians. Then it's about sitting. It's about putting our weight in, sitting in what God has done for us. Then in chapter 4, it says, walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you have been called. And chapter four and five then deals with walking. You're sitting in Christ and you depend on what he has done as that becomes implanted. Then that leads to being able to walk worthy of the calling with which you've been called. That's chapters four and five. And then chapter six talks about stand against the schemes of the devil. And that's in spiritual victory. But you can't, I guess, stand until you're walking worthy of the calling with which you've been called. And you can't walk worthy of the call with which you've been called until you understand that you're seated with him in the heavenly places. First we sit, then we walk, then we stand. Um, Not only must we do these things, but it talks about doing them together. So we sit together and then we walk together. And then we stand together. Jesus talked about in John 17, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. So what Jesus understood, it's not only that we sit, walk, and stand. That's one thing, but we do it together. So we sit together. And then we learn to walk together. And then we learn to stand together. It begins with sitting together. We looked at this verse, you're going to read a part of it that we looked at last week. It says, God being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ, by grace you have been saved, and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. We looked at this verse last week and we used it to answer three questions about being saved. And if we are followers of Christ, one thing that unites us is that we're saved. What does that mean? And so we talked, we answered three questions last week that I'll just review. Saved from what peril? Saved for what purpose? And saved by what means? Um, Saved from what peril? It says we were dead in transgressions and sins. So the spiritual problem that God and Jesus need to address is not that we are wounded spiritually, but we're dead spiritually. There's nothing we can do for us. So being saved is to be saved from spiritual death, being dead in transgressions and sins. Okay, so that's saved from what peril, saved for what purpose? It says in so that in the coming ages, he might show 
the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. You'd think that the reason why God saves us is to get us to do things. You know, that would seem to be common. And we'll talk about how believing leads to behaving, but God's purpose in saving us is not to get us to do anything. God really doesn't need us to do stuff for him. What he saves us is in order that in the ages to come, he might show the immeasurable, incomparable riches of his grace in kindness towards us. God identifies those who are his followers, invites them into his family so that he can bestow everlasting divine kindness. That's for what purpose? So he saves us from what peril? Death saves us for what purpose? To express his kindness and saves us by what means? It says by grace are we saved through faith. So grace is God doing for us what we couldn't do for ourselves. Again, we're not spiritually wounded. We're spiritually dead. Dead person can't save himself. That's the thing that God does because he's a God of grace. And we make that ours by faith. Um, so here's the question. <clears throat> if God has done all this for us, if he saved us from death, and if he saves us in order to be kind, and if, and if we becomes ours by believing it, then what do we need to do? What's our part? Um, the lyrics, the song lyrics suggested, we need to have the eyes of our heart opened. There's a couple prayers in Ephesians, and there's two in Ephesians and one in Colossians, and we're going to look at them briefly in this morning. And see if you can identify, as you look at these prayers from Paul, I'm going to read them, and you see if you can pick up, what did Paul pray for when he prayed for people who were in the house churches that he was planting. I'm going to read them. See if you can distill or identify what is it that Paul prays for. Okay, here we go. Here's the first one. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. I pray also that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and his incomparably great power for us who believe. Okay, that's the first one. Um, what do you notice about that prayer? Take a look at it again. What is it that he wants us to see? What a good question. Somebody said, you know, like you really can't see these things. What he wants us is the eyes of our heart to be opened. God does these things for us. And what Paul prays, the eyes of our heart, we might understand and see kind of with our mind, not visibly, but we would understand, and look what it says, the glorious Father may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. A lot of, many people are comfortable with Jesus. The Father is a different thing. The Father, God the Father, seems a little bit more frightening. What Paul asked is that we would be given the ability to know the Father better, because the fact is the Father and the Son are aligned. They 
act the same way, you'd say, well, look at the first part of the Bible. It's not all that comfortable. Jesus is the one, is the one who reveals what God is like. And what Paul prayed then is that we would understand not only what Jesus is like, but who the Father is like. When we are close to the Son and afraid to the Father, and a lot of us might deal with that, it kind of creates a spiritual schizophrenia. You know, I'm really comfortable with the Son, but the Father, and what Paul prays for us, we need to have the eyes of our heart open because the Father, when we understand, well, when we understand the Father, what do we understand? There's another prayer. Look what it says. I pray that he may strengthen you, and this is the Father, with power through his Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power, together with all the saints, to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. These are Paul's prayers. Look at this one. What is Paul praying for us? Question. That we would behave better or that we would believe better? What do you see? Behave better or believe better? What's foundational? We need to sit before we walk. We need to believe before we behave. Our problem is we skip over the belief part and we focus on the behave part. If the foundation of belief is not developed, we cannot work walk worthy of the calling with which we've been called. That's why Paul's prayer is, the eyes of our heart may be enlightened so that we may know the hope to which he has called us, the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, the incomparably great power us who believe that we would be given power to know the love of Christ so that Christ can dwell in our heart through faith and us being rooted and grounded in love because to have a relationship with God in Christ is to know that you're loved. And when that occurs, then when God's love fills our heart, we're able to grasp how wide, long, high, and deep to know the love that surpasses knowledge we're filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Christian unity is about being one-minded. It's about a unity of belief. That's why Paul prays that the eyes of our heart would be opened, the eyes to see what we have received through faith in Christ. Do you know what he wants us to see? The love of the Father and the love of the Son. That's what he, because you know what obedience means biblically? If, if we're going to talk about, and we need to talk about behavior. You know what, what behavior looks like? It's to be loving. That's what he wants. That's the command that we would love him, our neighbor. And the fact is, we love because he first loved us. Our love for others is an echo of his love for us. To the degree you're rooted in this, you can do this. So therefore, if you're going to get to the root of the problem, do we pray for this, what we do, or pray for this, what we believe? This comes first. Because 
Our love for others is an echo of his love for us. If we're getting this, we can express this. If we're not getting this, we can express this, but not biblically. Biblical love is very deep, and it's different than human love. Human love, we love, well, narrowly and shallowly. We love those that are comfortable to love. And again, that's not a bad thing. And yeah, we don't love them as deeply as Jesus did. Biblical love is wider. Biblical love embraces not just us, it embraces them. Them. Them are the people that us people have a difficult time with. That's, that's who them are. You know, them are not us. You understand what I mean? Biblical love embraces them. And we love shallowly, but biblical love is is deep. These are Paul's prayers. Um, Before we can sit in what God has done for us, that's what he wants us to do. Um, We need to see what he has done for us. I think we can make a, a, maybe a, a dry principle here. Love is the fruit of believing that we're loved by God. Would you agree? Love is the fruit of believing deeply that we're loved by God. It will take a lifetime for us to fully understand the love of God which surpasses knowledge. If there's one thing that I would encourage you to pray, day by day, morning by morning, because it's really the critical prayer, it would be this. God, reveal yourself and your love to me. Every day. You'll never get there, but to the degree you understand his love, it's going to allow you to walk worthy of the calling with which you've been called, and that would allow you to stand firm. That's what Paul seems to say. Loving people and using things, evidences being rooted in love. Loving people and using things, evidences that we're learning to love. Loving things and using people, evidences that our love tank might need to be filled a little bit. But the first thing is then sitting together. The next is walk together. Here's what he says in Ephesians chapter 4, I therefore, a prisoner of the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. It talks about the influence of the Spirit. The Spirit of God unites. That's what he does. And we might see it the difference between fusion and fission. Fission divides. Fusion unites. The Spirit of God is not fission. Oh, he is fusional. He brings people together. When we sit together and believe the good news and are rooted in the love of God, when we sit together, we are able to walk together. There is one more prayer that we're going to look at from Paul. And you see if you can pick up the same thing. This is in Colossians. Ephesians and Colossians are two letters that help us to understand 
what the church should be, where we should focus. It's pretty practical. And it helps us by telling us what Paul prayed for. You look at it, see what it says. It says, and so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. That sounds a lot like the other one, doesn't it? Filled with the knowledge of his will, spiritual wisdom and understanding that we would understand and know about God. And then it goes on to talk about what happens. If this is accomplished, he's going to go on and indicate the fruit of this. But I want you to get the root of it. The root is to understand the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding. That takes a lot, but to the degree we know that, not just in our head, but in our heart, and that we know it together. Here's what's going to happen. And here's what it says. So as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power, according to his glorious might, for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. So it talks about walking in a manner worthy of the Lord, pleasing him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, and the work which God would have us perform are works of, good for you, love. Works of love. That's what it means. Um, increasing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power, according to his glorious might, in order that we would evidence endurance, which is long-suffering, patience, the ability to hang in there, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to share in the inheritance of the saints in the light. Here's the question. How do we experience the power to behave? There is behavior here. How do we experience the power to behave? Where does it come from? It comes from one thing. The power to behave comes from the ability to believe. Biblically, believing leads to behaving. What happens a lot of times in church is that a few things are said or the same things are said about God, that God loves you and Jesus died for you and everybody's got that right. Everybody understands that yeah, you understand that, right? You know, Jesus is God, God loves you. Everybody good about that? And then the, the major focus then is on, okay, now act like it. Now do the things that will show people that you are a believer in Jesus. And so, you know, so stop smoking and chewing and going with girls who do and, and you know, all stuff like that. And, and is behavior necessary? Absolutely. Where does it come from? It comes from believing. That's why Paul prays that we would know things that we never fully know in this world. But the thing Paul would have us focus on is God's will 
his love, because as we are rooted in God's love and we understand his will and purposes, here's what's going to happen. And here's why Paul prayed for it. Fruit will be born. Now, you all understand what fruit's like. You know, we're in the harvest season and you've, you've seen trees, right? You've seen the way trees do it. it you know, they, they really force, you know, what happens with a tree? And if you, I've looked at them. So, you know, if you don't know about trees, you can learn from me. It, it's like this. It's just, you see, it's strange. The branches start to shake. You know, there's nothing there. And the branches shake. Then all of a sudden, this, on the end of the branch, it opens up. And just kind of like, you know, it just it pops out. There's a lot of effort for a tree to produce fruit. If you haven't noticed that, you know. Is that the way it works? Absolutely not. You know what a tree does? A tree stays rooted. And you know what happens when it stays rooted? Fruit goes. Fruit grows. And interestingly, the fruit that, have, you know, you might not have seen this, but again, I've, I've looked at trees pretty carefully. And uh, as you can understand, you know, when a tree, what a tree will do when it, when it produces an apple, it, its branch will curve in. This is an amazing thing. The, the branch will curve in and, the, and the, the tree's mouth will open, and it will eat the... Have you ever seen that? You, have, you know, it, 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 it kind of goes in, and then you see these teeth come out, and it, and, it, and it eats the apple. Because as we all know, you know, the trees produce fruit that they can enjoy. Here's the deal. It's yeah, stupid. Um, fruit doesn't exist for the tree that produced it. You know what we're supposed to do? We're supposed to believe together. You know what that's going to mean? We can love together. And the love that spills out, it benefits one another. And that's the way it's supposed to be. Um, as Paul says in Galatians, they do loving things, especially to those who are of the household of faith. We're supposed to walk. We're supposed to sit together and walk together in love. Um, the power to behave is the byproduct of the power to believe. That's why Paul's prayers focus on knowing and believing. If you get anything from this morning, that's it. Behaving is rooted in believing. That's what we find here. And then when we sit together and walk together, then we can stand together. It says, finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to take the stand, take stand against the schemes of the devil. So you can stand, but you can't stand until you walk. And you can't walk until you sit. Sit, walk, stand. Uh, the devil's schemes, he influences us to doubt God's promises and to doubt God's love, to question God. That's what the devil does. And he causes us to question. Uh, the spirit draws us to God. The devil kind of moves us in the direction of believing that we're God's slaves. The Spirit of God draws us to be sons and daughters of God. So I'm going to tie this up. Unity is foundational. Unity is foundational. We sit together in Christ by believing the good news that we're saved. We walk together because as we believe the good news, it leads to a gentleness that ends up flowing out of us onto others. And then we stand together against influences that promote disbelief. And here's my invitation to you. Um, keep coming back. We will continue to focus on believing better in order that we might develop the ability 
to behave better. We're going to continue to focus on believing better because believing better leads to behaving better so that sitting together will lead to walking together and standing together. Let's stand for closing prayer. God, thanks for being able to have Paul talk to us. He's the apostle to people like us. And he's very clear about where the focus should be, that we, he would have us, the minds of our heart, be opened so that we could know your will and your purposes and your love. So I guess I'd ask that. Would you, Father, would you reveal yourself to us? And would you reveal your love to us? We're never going to be able to completely know it in this life, but to the degree we know it and are rooted in it, it will enable us to walk and to stand. So I'd ask that you would help us to know you and you reveal yourself and your love to us because believing leads to behaving. In Jesus' name, amen.